Welcome to the C.L. Brown Show. I am your host, C.L. Brown, sports columnist with the Louisville Courier-Journal. I have a special show lined up for episode three, where we're going to focus almost entirely on conference realignment and the future of college football. Joining me to discuss these topics are Brett McMurphy, the college football insider with Action Network, and Tom McMillan, the president and CEO of the Lead One Association. McMillan has a resume far too long to recite, but I'm going to give you a few of the highlights. He played on the 1972 U.S. Olympic team that lost in the controversial ending in the gold medal game to the Soviet Union. They protested by refusing to accept that silver medal. He was also a part of the 1974 University of Maryland basketball squad that is one of the best teams to never win a national title. The Terps lost to NC State in the ACC Tournament Championship game back when the league only received one bid. So NC State went on to win the national title, and McMillan didn't get a consolation prize there either. Aside from those athletic accomplishments, McMillan served as a United States congressman for three terms, representing a district in Maryland. And if you're not familiar with his current organization, Lead One is comprised of 133 athletic directors from every school in the football bowl subdivision of the NCAA. So McMillan has been privy to a lot of those conversations going on behind the scenes with realignment. And I'm really excited to get his insight. But first up, the voice you're going to hear with me is Brett McMurphy, the only person in both the Associated Press and coaches preseason football polls to have Louisville ranked. Obviously you have a vote in the AP poll and I saw you released your ballot for all to be debated. That That's always, people don't understand. That's a brave thing to do because you know, you're going to get some hate, <laughs> but um, I, I saw Louisville at number 16. And I think a lot of times with these preseason polls, especially uh, voters will just kind of fall in line to to the brand names and what's what's generally expected from teams. And I thought that you uh, definitely were thinking outside the box with this selection. So wanted to just dive in with what what made you rank not only rank Louisville, but put them that high. Do you get after the first five and then get even the. You know, get through the first 10, then really there's there's 30 teams that you could put in. Uh, to fill out the, you know, numbers 11 through 25. And uh, I just, you know, I like, I like Louisville. I like what they have this year. I mean, I, I, you cannot overstate the importance of Jeff Brom coming back back home. Uh, He's one of the best offensive minds uh, in the country. You know, I've, you know, been, been a big fan of his at Purdue even before that. I know Malik's gone at quarterback, but you got Plummer coming in there, so I think I think they'll be fine. But I just think that you know the offense, which put up some big numbers last year, I just think it's going to be so much better, um, you know, for Louisville. And and uh, you know, I don't take you know I I look at a lot of different factors when I do my rankings and how I come up with that. But um, you know, I do look at power ratings is part of part of it and based on our guys that uh, do our power, power ratings at the action network and i tweeted this and um you know it was 
kind of surprised I didn't get a key to the city for Louisville, but um, <laughs> we've, got him, we've got him projected to be favored in all 12 games this year going into the season. Oh, wow. Yeah. From, from um, what you've seen, did, did anybody, do you, how, how do you feel that Jeff Brom did in terms of working the transfer portal in relation to, you know, some of these other teams that you have ranked? Uh, I mean, I think, I think he did well. I mean, it's the thing is it's, and I'll be honest, I don't get in and analyze every single portal addition or subtraction. Um, our, actually, our our power ratings take a lot of that into it. It, ta- it accounts for, you know, additions, subtractions. It's not simply a, okay, here is seven returning starters on offense, five on defense. Let's rate them here. It takes in all those things, transfer portal and subtraction. So, um, you know, I, I, I'll be honest, I couldn't tell you specifically where I rate them as far as other teams in the country, as far as the transfer portal. But again, I just, I just think they've got a good nucleus coming back and, you know, pair to be fine at quarterback. And I just think it's a huge benefit um, having, having Brom, Brom back uh, in Louisville. Yeah. Well, uh, let's stay with uh... – obviously talking Louisville, but uh, expanding it to the ACC and with the latest rounds of conference realignment and what's been going on and how it seems like everything can change in (laughs) 24 hours. um, How do you view right now how ironclad the, the ACC's grant of rights? Uh, Do you, I mean, do you feel like, it's going to keep, at least in the immediate future, it's going to keep this conference together, or do do Louisville fans need to be worried and and trying to be searching for what's next? I mean, CL, that's the $100 billion question, because <laughs> nobody knows. All I know is it was based on the Big 12 grant of rights, which were supposedly ironclad, and then people are like, well, yeah, Texas and Oklahoma got out of them. Well, no, Texas and Oklahoma didn't get out of them. They reached a settlement with the Big 12 where they allowed them to leave. The difference is OU and Texas had two years to go and not 12 or 13. Yeah. I know from talking to various people around college football that Colorado, excuse me, Colorado, Florida State and Clemson feel confident that they can get out of the grant of rights. Obviously, the ACC disagrees. But what would, you know, concern me as far as if I'm a Louisville fan, if we have this conversation five years from now, uh, I don't believe the conference will have the same membership. I think Mm -hmm. at that point, Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, possibly a Miami, possibly Virginia, you know, the Magnificent Seven that I wrote about back in May at the spring meetings in Amelia Island. I think a number of those schools will have tried to get out. So then if you're Louisville, um, you're kind of in a weird situation. You know, do you want to stay in the ACC? And who knows what the ACC looks like at that point? You know, say the majority of the teams I just mentioned are no longer in the league. Would you stay in that league that then would add schools from the American, which, uh, you know, who know, this is total speculation. Yeah. Would they look at schools like USF or Tulane or East Carolina? I mean, whatever whoever's out there, I'm sure Louisville fans would be like, wait, we're going back to conference. USA." <laughs> yeah. So would you rather, would you rather stay with the ACC at that point or potentially 
would you try to go to the Big 12? You know, I know a lot of people, you know, back when, you know, the conference last, the last um, rotation of conference realignment or whatever, um, you know, West Virginia got in over Louisville. And I know that's something that, that Louisville was, you know, didn't really like, didn't appreciate. And, you know, I know, if, um, yeah, you know, former AD Tom Jurich. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Um, but you know what? People still, you know, kind of when I talk to people throughout the industry, they kind of feel like Louisville's almost sometimes seems a better fit for the Big 12. Like mm-hmm. they should have been in the Big 12. But obviously, as long as the ACC is healthy and up and running, there's no reason to get out. But you were asking me about moves down the road. You know, could that be if these schools get out of the grant of rights and there is a way to get out and then the ACC is just filling up with schools from the from the American or Sunbelt or wherever they grab them from, potentially maybe Louisville looks to the Big 12. Maybe then the Big 12 goes from 16. Maybe they get up to 20. Who knows? Um, but the good news is the grant of rights is through 2036. So they've got a home. Um, they're in a good situation. And look, they got the, you know, they got the last, uh, they got the last life raft off the SS Big East Titanic, <laughs> because you look at you look at Louisville and you look at the University of Connecticut, and Connecticut it was between those two schools, mm. and Louisville, you know, because of the work at Jurich and you know the Louisville obviously the the Charlie Strong was coached then. The, think Louisville had gone to the Sugar Bowl either right about then or right before then you know it was a it was a perfect time for Louisville and you know if 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 you underestimate how important that was then just look at UConn and what they're doing I mean they're they're an independent in football look at their schedule um and then you know basketball they're in the Big East they're fine but still that was huge for Louisville. Yeah. Do Do you feel the the, you know, two conference uh, superpowers or or I feel like this is like the Death Star. We're just headed towards, you know, um, basically just two superpowers: Big Ten and the SEC. And it's either you're with them or you're second tier. You know, um, uh, the with the way, especially as as you're alluding to that, it's not gonna stop where we are right now um but i i kind of just wonder like what what is the end game of all of this will we just you know eventually get to the point where where they drop the farce of college amateurism and and it's set up as a a, as a feeder system to the nfl and it's officially like a, a minor league kind of you know a minor league kind of setup or or what or i mean or do you see do you, do you see any way that this evens out plateaus and we still have some semblance of what we, you know, knew or what we loved about college football and, and regional battles and, you know, rivalries that have been going on a hundred years. Yeah. CJ, I hope CL, sorry, CL, I hope I'm wrong. Um, I think, Somewhere down the road, this isn't going to be next week, next month, or even next year, several years down the road. I hope I'm wrong, but I think the Big Ten and SEC both have 24 schools in them. Oh, and wow. one will be the AFC, one will be the AFC, one will be the NFC. They'll have their own, they'll have their own championships and then the winners will play 
in college football Super Bowl, and that'll be the national championship. And if you're not part of that 48 school um, conference or league, then you'll be second tier status. What that is, I don't know. It, you know, yeah, they'll still play football, but they won't. They won't attract the the revenue that those big biggest brands will. And the part about splitting away, you know, some people think this could also happen is that, you know, maybe maybe one day the school's football programs are no longer aligned with the colleges. Like, you know, the University of Alabama would still play for the University of Alabama and wear the, you know, same colors and play it, you know, playing uh, Bryant-Denny. But they would be separate from the university. They could then pay the players. They could compensate the players through either media rights, give them part of the college football playoff. And then that way they can deal with all the other sports separately. They don't title nine issues are no longer a big issue because football is not counted towards the university. And they kind of represent the universities and obviously the university benefits because they're getting, you know, a lot of the, the money that football generates if that happens then i think if you want to get really drastic you could have for instance the sec i said they get up to 24 if they split away from the university and they're run by you know these football programs then the university presidents would not really be in charge of the football programs like they are now and and the conferences so what i mean by that is we could see a day where the SEC says to Vanderbilt, hey, guys, um, you are an SEC member in every sport, but we're doing our little football thing over here, and you're not going to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Because they want to get their biggest brands to yeah. bring the, the biggest, make it as worth as much money as they can. Um, as long as the university presidents are involved or over all of the conferences and all the schools, that's not going to happen. And for people that hate that the rivalries are going away, I just look at, you know, I grew up in Oklahoma, grew up a huge Dallas Cowboy fan. Don't ask me about their recent success because <laughs> they haven't had any. But who is Dallas's biggest rival? It's D.C., you know, the, the former Redskins, the Washington C- Commanders. Why? Because of TV. And they're located halfway across the country from each other. And so, you know, even though we're we're losing these regional rivalries with the Big Ten expansion and whatever lies ahead, it, who's to say that we don't have rivalries that are as intense as um, some of them that, you know, like a Louisville-Kentucky rivalry or a West Virginia-Pitt? Um, you know, who's to say we won't have those with schools or football programs that are located, you know, halfway across the country from each other? Yeah, that's... I mean, you make it sound better than I thought <laughs> in terms of what we're losing and what we could be gaining. Um, well, the TV, the TV is going to be incredible. The, the TV is going to be incredible. Now, oh, if yeah. you're Rutgers, if you're Vanderbilt, if you're Indiana, you know, if you're you're at the bottom of these conferences. You're going to get your brains beat in, and your fan base is going to want to fire your coach every three years because you're not going to the playoff. But for the casual fans that love big brands and big names, oh, we'll be sitting there, you know, watching these games all the time. And um, and that's why the SEC got Texas and Oklahoma. 
because t- the SEC, obviously, they're they're the smartest conference in the room. They realize that somewhere down the road, schools or conferences are going to have to compensate players. Forget about the NIL. That's off to the side. The actual schools or conferences are going to have to compensate these players, whether it's direct payments to the players, whether they're employees, which I know there's a lot of negatives towards that. I understand that. Whether they get a share of the TV money, whether they get a share of the college football playoff money, whatever that is, they're going to get compensated totally different than they ever have before. So the SEC is smart enough to realize we need to get have the biggest brands in our conference so we can bring in the biggest dollars to our conference because we're going to have to pay these guys. Once they do it, everybody else will. But the problem is, for any other conferences, not name the SEC or Big Ten, or as I like to call them, King Kong and Godzilla, <laughs> these other conferences won't be able to afford it. And then where do you think the best players are going to want to go? Where they get the most visibility and they get the most money, and those will be the two behemoths. All I know is that whatever this future holds with college football, Brett McMurphy is going to be one of the reporters to break the news, folks. So if you are not following him on Twitter or <laughs> now X, I still haven't gotten used to that. X, um, I know. Yeah, he's at Brett underscore McMurphy at B-R-E-T-T underscore M-C-M-U-R-P-H-Y. I thank you for being on with me, Brett. This has been very informative. And joining the CL Brown show, I have with me, Mr. Tom McMillan. You have you have lived several different great lives. <laughs> and currently, <laughs> you know, I, I think your your current position as the president and CEO of League One is also very intriguing given uh the the amount of uh powerful people for lack of a better way to put it, that in college athletics that that you work with. Um, I, I guess I wanted to start with, for some of my listeners who are unfamiliar with, with Lead One, if you could just kind of kind of give me the highlights of what your organization is about. Well, Lead One was originally the D1 Athletic Directors Association, and it was uh, an association of all of the football bowl subdivision ADs. Um, when I took over in two, late 2015, uh, Jack Swarbrick, the AD at Notre Dame, wanted to turn it more into a policy shop where we work on issues that of concern to our athletic directors. So we renamed the association, the Read One Association, and um, you know, and those are the kinds of things we work on, whether it's NIL or transfer or. Uh, academic issues, uh, conference realignment, uh, you name it. Uh, those are the issues that we work on. Um, and we try to work with our ADs to understand where their position is on these issues. So <clears throat> you guys put together a proposal to reform the uh, football subdivision governance. I think that was back in December of uh of last year which to me kind of places you guys ahead of the curve with with what came because i kind of feel like this with basketball too but uh, i i feel like there's no one who's kind of speaking out for the good of the entire sport and we end up being kind of fragmented and everybody is kind of looking out for either their conference or their school individually without that 
kind of big picture view. Can you kind of take me behind the scenes of what went into putting together this proposal to to uh, for reform? Let me talk about the problem that you alluded to, which is the fragmentation. Uh, you know, ever since the Supreme Court decision in 84, power has devolved away from the NCAA to the conferences. So it's very difficult to get things done. We saw that in COVID where different conferences went different ways. And here we have this football, this giant of a sport that plays for 80% of college sports. And yet the, the management is sort of is bifurcated. On one hand, you have the NCAA making rules. On the other hand, you have the conferences who are very powerful, who set up a postseason playoff structure through this college football playoff. And yet, when you look at the NCAA, there is really no one person that's sort of like the the, the go-to person for football. Yeah. Uh, in basketball, you have Dan Gabbitt who occupies that role at the NCAA. And so when you have such a big sport and it is fragmented, it, you know, it really calls out for maybe a new structure. And so our ADs felt, well, you know, they looked at why do we move football out of the NCAA? And the problem is the college football playoff doesn't really want it because they're an event. They're kind of an event organization an event management organization, not a governance organization. And so you have to look at, well, okay, well, if you keep it within the NCAA, what kind of changes would you make? And for one, it, it costs the NCAA $30, $40 million a year to run college football within the uh, NCAA. And they don't really, they don't get, they don't get any of the championship funds from the uh, division one. So there's cost elements to this, uh, but most importantly is looking at it and saying, well, if the NCAA is going to be relevant, they ought to have someone at the table who is very football-centric. Uh, and we've heard this from the NFL. You know, the NFL kind of is frustrated by sometimes they don't know where to turn mm. uh, because the NCAA doesn't have authority over football and the conferences are sharing that authority. And it just becomes uh, very difficult to, to to move on issues and to get the kind of reform you want. Now, RADs felt that way. I'm not sure that conferences necessarily agree with that at this time, but you know, sometimes these changes take a long time. And uh, the idea that if the NCAA is going to be involved in rulemaking and still have a very important role in football, there ought to be at least a person there who – who is football centric, who is a sort of a cheap operating officer who the schools can look to. And, and that person has, would have to obviously collaborate very closely with the conferences. Yes. So uh, how much has it gained much traction? Like wh where do we stand today in terms of, of the proposal, which, which uh, again, just for my listeners, um, the two major recommendations that came out of this proposal was the creation of a football FBS football governing board um, that's that's closely tied into and aligned with the conferences and the creation of uh, a FBS operational leadership position um, with with the CEO that you just alluded to. So has has there 
you know, how has it been in terms of trying to get this implemented? implemented? So obviously, in the middle of all this, you've had new leadership with the NCAA. You know, Charlie yeah. Baker took over. And, you know, one of the first things he did was a SWOT analysis. He wanted to understand his strengths, weaknesses, and threats, and so forth, and opportunities. And so he did that. That was just completed. I, I think the, obviously, these kind of big recommendations kind of got caught up in that transition. The second thing is, I think the conference is still are trying to understand the relationship, their relationship with the NCAA, new NCAA leadership and so forth. So I think it's one of those issues that, you know, you put it out there, you continue to work on it, and hopefully in the long haul, uh, something will be done. The ADs originally wanted, probably half of them wanted to move it outside the NCAA and, and to the CFP, but that wasn't a realistic option. So for now, uh, I think we're still under a status quo, but uh, progress sometimes takes slow steps, and that's kind of where we are. Yeah. So uh, I, I want to kind of – to me, it all ties in, but I, I want to take a clear-cut separation right now just in terms of the conference realignment aspect of, of everything that's going on. And um, – I wonder just behind the scenes with when you meet with these uh, different athletic directors, uh, you know, over the course of the past like half of a year, how much how much has realignment dominated the conversation? Like how how much is where we're going in in college sports? You know, in, in terms of how it is uh, how we compete, uh, how much has that been kind of on the forefront? Well, it was, you know, it's very episodic. I mean, this has been going on for years. When I wrote my book called Out of Bounds in 1992, I talked about realignment and conferences shifting and all that. And and I said, you know, it's always for a chase for money. It's always been for the chase for television dollars. I mean, that goes back 40 years ago. So I don't think there's anything new here. Um, you know, of course, when Texas and Oklahoma moved, that was a very big step. And then, of course, you've had uh, new commissioners and and they've been all trying to get, you know, get larger as well. And and then we see this sort of unraveling in the last uh, few weeks where you see Colorado and Utah and all those schools move to the Big 12. And now you see the, the schools uh, in the Big 10, uh, UCLA and USC previously move. And now you see even more of that occur. And uh, with the latest moves with uh, Oregon and, and Washington. So I I don't think this is the end. I think it's part of college sports, but it, it does raise a couple questions because football is a very different sport and you only play so many games and you may be able to charter, you're going to charter all those games, all those away games, so half your games are away. And that's probably very manageable, even if you're playing across the country. Where it gets difficult is the other sports. Maybe not so much basketball because, again, they'll charter, but how about the softball team, the swimming team, all those other sports that now have to play across the country? That's where it gets difficult. And that's the challenge of these new models. I mean, a lot of our ED said, why don't we just why don't we just have conference realignment for football? Um because that's really what we're talking about here and allow the rest of these teams to play regionally. Um, 
And this whole regional schedule uh, issue has raised its head many times because people do understand that and leadership understands that the more kids travel, the harder it is to be a legitimate student. Um, They're going to miss class. They're going to, uh, they're going to be away from school more and more. And so it's, it's a very legitimate issue. And the flip on that is that a lot of schools that are left out of this conference realignment, think of Oregon state, Washington state right now, you know, they're going to have to make choices on a lot of their, uh, Olympic sports, their minor sports, are they going to have to cut them because they won't have the same revenue? And so there's a lot of ramifications to this and how it plays out. But ultimately, you know, the bottom line here is, are you giving these student athletes the best opportunity they can have? And if it's win here, win in some places and lose in others, I mean, those are questions that have to be raised. Yeah. Do, do you see a future in which, I mean, we're talking, you know, what's left of the Pac-12 right now, four teams. Stanford is, you know, year in and year out. They're one of the top, if not the number one team in the, uh, uh, I forgot what they call it now. Is it the Learfield standings? It, it started off as the Sears where they where they total the this the director's cup they total all the sports that right, are played the director's and, cup, right, yeah right. yeah yeah and and you have if it's about success then why isn't stanford the coveted program that you know that the conferences come after so you, you have you have established schools like that and i kind of feel like it almost seems like we're moving towards where it's it's literally like the superpowers like even teams that are currently cover like Kentucky or Louisville who haven't achieved on that upper tier, you know, national championship college football playoff level of football. And that even those teams could end up getting kind of bumped out where it's only like the top 24 kind of name brand college football teams. I mean, it, 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 it feels like that's, that's what we're going. Some kind of like, football Darwinism where it's, it's, you know, some of these schools are going to get bumped out. It is very Darwinian because, you know, the strong survive and uh, the eat are yeah, the weak are often, you know, left on the sidelines. And that's what you see happening. I, um, I think there's some political ramifications to this that we're not even, we're not going to be fully aware of Congress is out of session, but you know, the NCAA and the conferences and the whole college sports enterprise is trying to get a national NIL bill done. Well, you wonder how some of this realignment is going to play out. I mean, obviously, Oregon is they win in one hand and they lose in another. Washington wins in one and they lose in another. And there are other conferences that have been hurt. Um, the, the ACC is uh, obviously going through its own internal the struggles and uh, so all this is very creates a lot of tumultuous sort of uh, noise and I think that it, it makes it more difficult to get uh, cohesive national legislation passed so I think there are ramifications to it certainly there's going to be ramifications to our Olympic effort and there'll be ramifications to individual student athletes some will have to travel a lot more you know, the one thing about the transfer portal today is that kids don't like their school and they can leave, but that's a, um, 
You know, that's a big step for a lot of kids because they're, you know, a lot of times kids go to school near their folks and they want their family to see them play. And now all of a sudden they're playing all over the country. So there's a lot to this that, you know, there's going to be a lot of ramifications that we're going to have to kind of observe as this rolls out. What what do you see? I mean, maybe we haven't reached it yet, but was there a tipping point, you know, that, that you can see that where all of this kind of the first dominoes to fall that, that created where we are now in the landscape of, of conscious conference realignment was, was there one moment That's, where you're like, Oh boy. <laughs> well, in modern times, I mean, you remember this has been going on. As I said, I wrote about it 40 years ago. There was all kinds of schools moving conferences over the years. You know, I think that the most, um, illustrative example was my own own alma mater, Maryland and Rutgers moving to the Big Ten. That was pretty seminal. That was done really to capture television markets. uh, Maryland's in the fourth largest television market. Of course, uh, Rutgers is in the top one or two. And so that was done purely for eyeballs. (laughs) And uh, I think that was the first example of that. And then obviously, what you see happening um, with Texas and Oklahoma. I mean, those are, that's about bringing premier sports programs into a conference because they do attract television audiences and that's what people want to pay for. So it is directly related to television. There's no question about it. Yeah. Well, is there a way to kind of, uh, I don't know if we can get the horse back in the barn, but you know, for this to just be about money just kind of feels empty. You know, like is is there a way that you see that this can kind of be turned around where where it's it's more logical, <laughs> it's it's more feasible for not just you know the the premier sport, the football. It, where where it does make sense for your softball team, your volleyball team, the the whole athletic department, like we are stepping this way because it makes sense for everybody. Well, you have to go back to that 1984 Supreme Court decision that where the NCAA lost that television monopoly and allowed really the conferences to become television powers. You know, Road Scholar Justice Wizard White uh, said this was going to mean commercialism over academic values. And and he pre- kind of predicted all this. He said, you know, people are going to be operating based on money principles, not on higher ed principles. And so I think he was right about that. But obviously, you know, the courts have been only gone further in taking power away from the NCAA. It hasn't, it hasn't you know, whenever the NCAA tries to do something, they get sued for antitrust. Uh, reasons and it makes it more difficult for them to be that national organization. The questions that will arise, I think, over the next few years is: Will will these new entities have market power issues? Will the courts start ruling against them? And because they are large and they're very significant forces, and that's a question that remains to be seen. But it could impact how this all evolves in the future. If all of a sudden you know, the Big Ten gets accused of market power because they're national. It would obviously change the dynamic because it would really mean that um, this consolidation could have legal, adverse legal consequences. Who knows? 
uh, I think that's one of the risk factors going forward. Yeah. Well, what is the next kind of the next frontier for lead one in terms of uh, a policy, if you can reveal it right now in terms of, of something policy related that you, you all are looking at? Well, I think the first thing is trying to come up with a, a national coherent NIL standard. So you're not dealing with all these different state standards. And obviously that's a priority. And and we have a meeting in September. We're going to talk about that. Right behind that, though, are the movements of the courts and the administration agencies, like the National uh, the National Labor Relations Board, to categorize student athletes as employees and and all what that what all that entails. And so, I think that's a big issue. And it's difficult when um, when this realignment probably doesn't help your case with the courts, at least. Uh, of course, we're going to say, look, you talk about student athletes and then obviously yeah. you, some yeah. type, you take actions that in some cases may be adverse to them. So, I mean, that's going to be one of the things that's happening. These court cases and administrative cases are coming and you're going to have reality that uh, student athletes are going to be declared employees. And uh, they're going to be right back with Congress trying to say, OK, well, we need a new model. What's that model going to look like? And. That's a that's that's even a bigger challenge than this NIL thing. NIL has been a challenge, but this next battle is going to be uh, so what, battle royale. It's going to really describe what college sports looks like for years and years to come. That's a wrap on episode three of the CL Brown Show. I'd like to thank my guests Brett McMurphy and Tom McMillan for joining me, and I'd like to thank you, the listener, for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please click on that subscribe button and leave a five-star review because we got enough hate in the world. Let's spread love. It's the Brooklyn way. Otherwise, if you have an idea for a topic or guest you'd like to hear on future episodes of the show, shoot me an email at clbrown1 at gannett.com. Otherwise, just hang tight. Catch me next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.